You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 251 of Podcateers. This week we talk about some of the Avengers making a surprise appearance at California Adventure. We discuss some of the unfortunate happenings at Fox after the conclusion of the Disney acquisition. An Academy Award winning director is leaving Disney for Sony. We talk about the stroller and smoking ban at Disney Parks. And we cap off the episode with Melissa telling us a little about Toontown. Remember that if you want to join the conversation, you can drop a comment on the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 251 or connect with us on social media. Just search for Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube channel. If you do, we'd love it if you took a moment to subscribe and maybe even hit that bell icon for notifications whenever new videos are posted. This episode of Podcateers is brought to you by the support of listeners just like you through their monthly contributions via Patreon. We like to call those listeners our podcast fairy godparents, but they call themselves the FGP Squad. If you like the podcast and would like to help us out by becoming part of the FGP Squad, you can find more information on how at podcateers.com FGP. As always, a huge thank you goes out to the FGP Squad for their support. If you're unable to join the FGP squad but still want to help us out, there's a simple thing that you can do the next time you need to buy something from Amazon. Start your purchase by going to podcateers.com Amazon. Once there, click on the large Amazon button that will take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link, and anything you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you as well. All right. Are you ready? I mean, I am. I mean, we could wait for later, but I mean, we're already here. So, you know, we might as well. Oh, you want to do it right now? All right. Perfect. Here is episode 251 of Podcateers. Are we live? Or is it Memorex? <laughs> or is it fantasy? Like, two <laughs> people will understand that reference. But more importantly, to answer the question, for all of you listening, it's Memorex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Me neither. That's what I'm like, I did Are you act. kidding me? I mean, Are we talking about the VHS brand? <laughs> so was that their tv commercial yeah it's like an audiophile thing and they would ask the question like is it live or is it memorex because the uh, quality was supposed to be so good right that you couldn't distinguish whether it was a recording or whether it was live gotcha my Learn history lesson new. for you <laughs> kids the real answer is i prefer vinyl that's why I'm so surprised that you don't know what Memorex is. No, I know what Memorex is. I had no idea what that line meant, though. I'd never heard oh, that commercial. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, up I... until like the early 90s, television and especially TV commercials were highly regionalized. So national ads would run in the big cities, but like places like Utah, we didn't get a lot of truly national ads, you know? So. You probably got a whole different exposure to things like that in California than I did growing up. 
Interesting. Yeah. Did you ever get the Energizer Bunny commercials? They keep going. We, we, going <laughs> yeah, we going. did. We did get those. But like, okay. like, and some campaigns were just blankets, but they didn't apply. So like, I remember growing up as a kid, we grew up with commercials for Red Lobster, but there wasn't, there wasn't a Red Lobster in Utah until like the late 90s. Like oh interesting yeah wow. it never was there so we were like what is this place like where it doesn't exist this is a fiction that's oh that's yeah. sad you know right. what's funny I remember seeing those types of commercials but I remember starting to see that a little bit more when we had satellite and cable mm-hmm. because the the broadcasts were coming from like you said from different regions. And I remember thinking, like, everything was local to me. So when I started saying, like, come eat a burger at Hardee's or come to Sonic, <laughs> I was like, what are these places? Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they started popping up around here. Hardee's uh, in California is mm. Carl's Jr. Yeah. You know, it's Hardee's pretty much everywhere else in, in the U.S. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I've, I've been through the same situation. Yeah. And yeah, everyone's hungry. And <laughs> most of the national brands started on one of the two coasts, right? They either come from California yeah. or from New York and then work their way towards the center of the country. So if you grew up in the center of the country, you're about a decade behind, kids. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, I don't know. Should we just throw out the challenge for East Coast and West Coast listeners? Because now I want to know, since we're already talking about regions, I'm just going to ask the question. In and out, or Whataburger? Oh, see, Whataburger is central though, because that's Texas. You got to go In and Out or White Castle. No, I think <laughs> there's one other chain that's supposed to be super big on the East Coast, though. And it's not White Castle. I don't think it's White Castle because mm, Whataburger um, came from Texas. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, you know what Texas. it is? Shake Shack. That's oh, what I'm Shake thinking Shack. about. Okay. So there it is. There's the question. In and out versus Shake Shack. In Shake all Shack. fairness, I've never eaten at Shake Shack before. I haven't either. I've only eaten it in and out. But I hear their food is tremendous. Nice. So anybody that's had Shake Shack or In and Out, let us know which one's better. I know this is totally nothing to do with Disney or anything, but I wanna know. Inquiring minds want to know where the best burger is in the US. And the real answer to that is five guys. Oh, come on now. You're killing me, <laughs> oh. Smalls. I love Five Guys. Shake Shack. I'm so okay good. with Five Guys. So good. Really up there. Not my place of choice, though, if I'm going to get a burger. All right. All right. But nothing so. tops like the mom and pop's places around here. Uh, yeah. That's true I mean, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to go to a major chain and an In-N-Out isn't around, I would prefer to go to the Habit Burger here in California over Five Guys. Nice. I still haven't been to Habit. I need to Me really neither. badly. Well, then we got to take you. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right. <laughs> let's wait till the end of this recording, though. Can we at least wait? Um. Okay. Okay. Sure. But if you hear grumbling on the recording, <laughs> that's my tummy. There's a rumbly in my tumbly. <laughs> uh. So much to talk about. I... I almost feel like I don't know where to start because since the last couple of episodes, we were bombarded by Disney news. Yep. And so, you know, we we try to select the stuff that's most interesting to us all the time. And uh, 
this this one thing that I currently want to talk about, Gavin could give two ducktails about it, hmm. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's the fact that the Avengers uh, cast was kind of a <sighs> California adventure, and they all rode Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout. <sighs> we had some strong feelings <laughs> about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. the the reason that they were there was actually uh, a very noble one because mm-hmm. there's there's a new initiative that Disney has started, uh, and what they did was they teamed up with the stars from Avengers Endgame to support a, a $5 million donation to the children's hospitals. Uh, it's part of a charity event that's uh, that supports Disney Team of Heroes. I think that's what it's called. The charity itself or the initiative is like Avengers Universe Unites or something like that. That's great and all, mm-hmm. but... I mean, let's talk about what's important to me here, and that's that Robert Downey Jr. was a California Adventure, and I wasn't. <laughs> Do you know? Oh, my God. Out of all the days, I could have called out sick. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what's crazier? <laughs> I was off that day, and I was going to go to the park, and I was just like, nah. Oh, man. And, oh. I, and then that <laughs> popped up, and I was still like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I started seeing those posts on Instagram, and uh, I was right in the middle of a meeting at work when I got the alert, and I looked at my phone, and I just stopped talking. (laughs) And people were like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I just kind of looked up, and they're like, what's going on? They thought something was seriously wrong. I was like, I need to go. They're like, where? I was like, to Anaheim. So I told them what was going on, and they're like, Get back to the meeting, you. (laughs) Now, it was totally surprise, right? Like, there was no lead up to this, right? It was just like, ta-da. No, no. And I think that's what's most surprising. I think they did it on purpose so that there wouldn't be a flood of people. Because I think Disney wanted to announce uh, this initiative that they were doing. So, uh, in all seriousness, like I said, it's a very noble thing that they did. Yeah. Uh, what ended up happening was Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Paul Rudd, and Brie Larson were joined by Bob Iger uh, on a stage in front of Mission Breakout. Well, technically in front of the Hyperion, but, you know, it's really in front of Mission Breakout. Uh, because they were celebrating the fact that they started this initiative and it included a $1 million donation from Disney to the Starlight Children's Foundation. And then a bunch of other companies jumped in like Hasbro, Amazon, Funko, and Lego. And they donated over $4 million in toys, you know, to take to these ho- the, the hospital and to donate to these kids. It was a surprise. It wasn't expected. But I think it was by design because they wanted to get all the PR shots and get them on the attraction without a bunch of people, you know, crowding them around. Ah, but again, yeah, as soon as I found out, I, I just thought to myself to have a teleportation device. <laughs> Same. So it's okay. I mean, eventually, <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm trying to compose myself, uh, but it's okay. 
It'll be fine. I know that there was some people there visiting the park. Our friends from Hilt Radio happened nice. to be in the area the few days, you know, that passed when this happened. And I remember uh, seeing their post on Instagram. They're like, no, we just missed them by a few hours. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I get you, man. I get you. I'm right there, too. I get it. So if by any chance you were there, you know, we'd love to hear what the experience was like. I know that there were some people posting photos. But if you or somebody that you know happened to be in the park when this happened, uh, leave us a message. Join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers and let us know what the experience was like. Did RDJ talk about me? Because I feel like he was like, dude, Hazen, what's up, man? And like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but his, his I just ears. I just want to know. I mean, like, I don't need to talk to him all the time. You know, we're still <laughs> bros and stuff. But ever since that Tom guy came in the picture, like, he just wants to hang out with him. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's jump into a couple of other things that have happened in the last week or two. Uh, one of the biggest things, obviously, is something that we've been talking about for quite some time now, but it was finalized. It is official. Disney is now the owner of 21st Century Fox, and the process to merge the studios has begun, mm -hmm. but it also looks like there's going to be a lot of layoffs. Uh, the layoffs have already begun. It's starting on the Fox side right now. It looks like about 2,000 employees and a lot of upper management are being transitioned out of the company. Uh, you know, we were we were so excited talking about this the entire time that I don't think any of us really thought of the ramifications of Disney taking on all of these employees and that a lot of them wouldn't continue with the company. You know, I, I guess it is one of the things that happens, you know, when something like this happens. But I mean, was this was this something that you guys had in your head the whole time? Like, no, I think it's the number that scares me personally. Like, that's a huge number of folks who aren't going to have a job. It's it's just sad overall. Um, I was shocked. I will say this. I'm really bad with like keeping up with. The, this kind of news, I don't know a lot that goes behind. Um, I just know if I read something about it. So this is why I'm like, whoa, this is huge. This is a huge thing that's happening. And it stinks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was expected by many of us because this kind of thing didn't happen with the Marvel takeover, with the Pixar takeover, or with the LucasArts takeover they more or less kept those entities intact. There might have been a, you know, a, a small percentage of things that, that happened as far as you know, restructuring and, and layoffs. Mm -hmm. and, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't recall any of that kind of huge cutting happening with those. And to me, it makes this seem a little, I'll just say less magical because... It yeah. seems like they're just interested in the properties and the, you know, the the things that they want to utilize. They're not interested in maintaining their production in the same way. And, you know, that's a little bit disheartening that they're really just buying the catalog, it seems like. Um, and that's just my perception. I could be wrong. 
but you know they're they're really trimming a lot of fat recently and it wasn't that long ago that they shuttered the Disney Toons studio and laid off all oh, those right. people so i i'm not really sure what the um the real game plan is here you know i don't know what their goal is aside from acquiring those properties if it's to have another production entity then they're going about it in a strange way to me so i don't know i think i think the jury's still out and i think we kind of need to see how it plays out but yeah it it definitely sucks for all those people because that i don't know how much notice they were given to us on the outside it was it was quick you know i don't know what you know chance they had to to seek other opportunities you know before this happened i'm sure they were granted some sort of pension or something hopefully but you know and a lot of these this industry is unionized so you know maybe the they're they're good to go and they've found other things but i don't know i yeah it it took me off guard to to say the least you know shortly after the merger was finalized Fox 2000 Pictures, which was one of the labels that 20th Century Fox uh, released a lot of films under, was almost immediately closed. That alone, I think, was the beginning of, like you said, Gavin, that they were just really interested in the properties. And that might be the case because when Disney Plus launches later this year... We already know that Disney is going to be really putting an effort forward to not just have original content and the entire Disney catalog, but there's going to be a lot of stuff from the Fox catalog that's going to be available on there as well. Mm -hmm. So the the other question is how is this going to affect hulu because you know they owned a portion of it disney owned a portion of it now disney has majority stake in hulu uh if if i'm not mistaken so yeah the the fact that it came as such a surprise you know i as far as i know some of the upper management didn't receive um like cash payouts or anything. I think they ended up getting, or I'm sorry, they didn't get stock payouts. They got like cash payouts or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really strange. Um, I hate to say that something like this was expected, but like you said, they are a union. So we're hoping that a lot of those people are able to find jobs because it sucks to be without a job, regardless of the industry that you're in. Right. So, uh, to all of the people, unfortunately, that have and are losing their jobs because of the merger, uh, you know, we're, we're sorry for the situation and we hope that you're able to bounce back as quickly as possible. But, you know, uh, as we're talking about, you know, all this stuff happening in the studios, a couple of months ago, we made the announcement that Lee Unkrich was leaving Disney. That, I, I think, was was a little surprising to us as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's he's behind Coco and he's done such good things for the Disney company as part of Pixar. Uh, and so when he announced that he was leaving, it, it didn't look like he was going anywhere. It just kind of sounded like, you know, I'm kind of done with this for now. I need to take a break. Just going to go do my own thing. I'm going to do Lee for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now this week we had... Uh, another announcement from another Disney, I guess veteran now, if you've been there for yeah. a decade, Ten right? Years, yeah. uh, Rich Moore 
has announced that he is leaving the Disney company as well. But this one, the surprising twist is that Rich Moore is not just taking a step back to just hang out and do Rich. <laughs> He's going to Sony Animation. Yes. And I, I yeah. for one, am excited for that. You know, I, I, I think it's as a career move for him where he is, I think it's probably a good move. You know, I, there's so much tumult right now within Disney, you know, with the exit of John Lasseter, with the, you know, appointment of new leadership, with all of these new acquisitions, and with the slate of sequels that are, you know, we're still in the midst of. I feel like there's a, a sense of, you know, non-exploration and even kind of plateauing or I, I hate to say it, but kind of a mediocre kind of time that we're in right now, which is crazy because we just came off the crest of this insane wave of amazing films, you know, uh, Rich Moore being involved in one of them in Zootopia, which I thought was a modern yeah. masterpiece. Yeah. And then they followed that up with Moana. But I mean, with Disney and Pixar films just being sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel, I don't blame him, man. With a studio like Sony that just brought us a revolutionary film like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that I, I was hanging out with some artists this weekend and every few minutes we found ourselves back on the topic of into the spider-verse you know we just wanted to talk about how it was so unique and and different and expressive in a new way that we've never seen in animation and for somebody like him who's a creative who's an artist who wants to make amazing films yeah i can see how that pasture is way greener right now you know so i I'm I'm excited to see what he does. You know, it, it stinks for Disney to lose that talent. But, you know, the other thing that Disney has is a huge farm system, you know, kind of like baseball. They've got lots of people waiting in the wings ready for their shot. So, you know, maybe this will give a new young director a shot and that'll inject some new energy into the studio and, and bring us something new. That's what I'm hopeful for, you know, because change is good in creative fields and competition is good. So while Disney consumes one of its competitors, it loses one of its veterans to another competitor to create more competition. So I think ultimately this kind of rounds out to a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. You know, you mentioned Zootopia. I, I have to agree with you when you called it a modern masterpiece because it touched on so many subjects as far as you know, social commentary mm -hmm. that a lot of people just will not directly or even indirectly touch. But Zootopia did it in such a way that it was understandable across the board how, you know, you would see kids talk about it and say, well, they were treating these guys unfairly just because of the way that they looked mm -hmm. or just because of the way that they acted. And it took on a whole new meaning outside of just like the the let it goes of the disney universe right, right. Uh, to me when i saw zootopia uh not that i wanted to see or make every disney film social commentary or political in any way but i felt that zootopia was this turn in the studio that i thought wow we're gonna start to see a little bit more of this that's awesome you know mm -hmm. i think we need to see stuff like this and then we didn't. We got more sequels, and then we got Ralph's 
Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is which is great. I love Ralph Breaks the Internet. But, you know, Sony animation is really in its infancy. You know, the studio's only been around since 2002. And I think their first major hit for Sony was Open Season. Yeah. Right? And since then, they've put out stuff like The Smurfs, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, uh, so Peter good. Rabbit. Their biggest franchise, obviously, in the last five or six years has been Hotel Transylvania. And uh, now Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Considering that Sony is in such an infant state, when you think of the legacy that the Disney Studios or even Pixar at this point brings to the table, how do you think a studio like Disney or Pixar can move forward and experiment more like they did with Spider-Man without ruining that legacy? Because I think Sony's Sony's willingness to experiment with Spider-Verse was because they don't yet have a legacy. They have a bunch of animated films, but they don't have the Disney way of animation. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have that set set of rules. Like, what do you think could help Disney enter that spectrum? Well, yeah, I I understand this question very well, and and I think it's a good one. I, I think that that's exactly how you build a legacy is, you know, through that expression and experimentation and, you know, broadening the box in which you operate. And I think that that Disney has, in a couple different eras, fallen into the trap of, you know, predefining their own box and, and not wanting to live outside of it. But when they've broken new ground, they've increased their own legacy you know so when they came when they changed the animation style from what we consider the golden era to that next era where they were using xeroxes of the actual animators sketches and everything became so much more tactile and and even rough you know it gave everything a totally new look and it created a new disney style you know and the same revolution happened again in the late 80s when, you know, what we see is that last great era of 2D animation, the Disney Renaissance, um, you know, that had a very stylistic look that was totally different than what Disney had done before. And so to me, that's what it is. It's about, you know, look, we've been in this box for about 10 years now. Every Disney character looks like it came out of the same character catalog, you know, with different little aspects here and there, but they all have a very distinct look that's all the same. Let's change it up. Let's flip it on its head. Let's do something different. And, you know, if if somebody who's creative like Rich Moore doesn't see that on the horizon, you know, then he's going to go create legacy somewhere else. And I think that's what Sony's really working on is, is, you know, not... Because so many studios are trying to chase that Disney Pixar look, right? Especially the smaller right. studios. You know, their goal is to make it look as close to Disney Pixar as they can. Stylistically, texturally, you know, the the quality of their animation, everything. But if you can hit those marks and then bend those rules and create something new, that's when you're going to make a mark. And I think that Disney is just in a spot right now where they're trapped in their own box and as soon as they wrap up all these sequels then they're gonna have to come up with something new you know so i i think it's only a matter of time i'm still the biggest disney fan you know i i can be critical of them but 
be passionately in love with their animation. And I still am and I always will be. I'm just waiting for the next thing because right now it's it's kind of a slog through the remaining sequels that we've got left. You're right because um, the most exciting thing is the Spark Shorts. Yes, that's right. a perfect that, example. Pixar, Pixar is working towards it because of things mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. It's a great example. But see, that's also where it's a little strange, right? Because we have the Pixar shorts that Pixar's releasing, but right. yet, you know, Rich Moore has also consulted on all other projects outside of the ones that he's worked with uh, as part of Disney Animation Studios. And sure. as much as, you know, we, we want to say that they're the same studio, they're really not mm-hmm. because yeah. Disney Animation yeah. Studios and Pixar work on different wavelengths. Yep. You know, they produce for the same company, but the storytelling aspect that comes along with a Pixar film versus a Disney Animation film, it feels that it was more processed and that it was more well thought out and that it was refined over time versus a Disney Animation film where it just felt like it was produced because they needed the next big thing, yep. you know, for for dvd or for digital release or something yeah and again just like gavin uh, i i'm critical about this stuff at times as well and i love disney and i love the studio and i love what they produce but uh you know like you said it is time for a change and do you think that change is going to come from within from things like the spark shorts or do you think it's going to come from producers and directors jumping to sony and jumping back jumping to dreamworks jumping back and somebody coming in from another studio that sees things outside of the disney bubble that's going to say look this is what's going to shake things up next yeah i i could see it being a mixture of all of those things because You know, nothing is straightforward in this business. You know, we all know how these things take years to make and they go through rewrites and they go through director changes and all of it. And I think you're going to have a lot of new energy from within as as, you know, younger uh, artists and producers and directors are given a shot as these veterans move out. But also Disney is always looking for talent and. You know, if another director from another studio wants to jump over, I'm sure there's going to be opportunity for that as well. I mean, I could I could see it happening from any angle. Uh, I just think it's a matter of time is all. Yeah. You know who I would like to see a little bit more from? And the unfortunate aspect of them producing films has a lot to do with just how long it takes to put them together mm-hmm. is Leica. Oh, yeah. Because Leica is producing such beautiful films and continuing in the realm of stop motion, but mixing a lot of the digital technology and elements that we see in new 3D productions, Mm -hmm. uh, they're breaking a lot of ground. And I wish they had a bigger team, you know, to put more stuff together without really sacrificing that story element. Because I think Leica, you know, once it it, it grows up a little bit... (laughs) You know, uh, I think they're going to be a huge force to be reckoned with as well. I agree. I mean, uh, man, this is really turning into my kind of conversation here. I'm totally geeking <laughs> out. Um, I'm a huge fan of Leica. Leica is is one of my favorite animation studios in the entire world. And Travis Knight's vision is one of quality 
over quantity. Mm-hmm. And, and I yeah. really appreciate that. You know, he is, he is focused on never uh, overstretching what they're capable of, you know. And I, and I like that. I agree, like, it'd be nice if we could have more from them more often. But I'm willing to wait the one or two years or sometimes three or four years between pictures for the quality that we get because they are like that. They're in that sweet spot that Pixar was for their first five or six films where it was mm-hmm. just like lightning in a bottle. Everything coming out was just mind-blowing, amazing, beautiful, you know, wonderful storytelling, amazing craftsmanship. And I'm, I'm hoping that they can ride that out and, and keep it, keep it going and not, you know, succumb to the temptation of growing faster than they should. That's my hope. But I, I, I agree. More like a is better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, as you know, we're going to continue monitoring this situation because I feel like Rich Moore, he's got a very good legacy ranging all the way back to when he used to work on the Simpsons. You know, he he's always had this amazing writing where the episode, one of the main episodes that he directed ended up winning uh, an, an award. I forgot what it won, like an Oscar or something like that. Um, but then he went on to help create Futurama, mm-hmm. which has an entire cult following as well. It is going to be bad for Disney to lose him, but I feel it's almost in that situation where now Disney has to say, okay, now what? Right. You know, so it yeah. almost expedites what the next big thing is going to be, or they have to start thinking outside of that box. So, all right. Um, what else did it, man, I'm telling you, there was so much that I wanted to talk about this week. Oh, this whole stroller situation thing. Yes. Yeah. At the parks. <laughs> so Disney released, I know that was a weird transition, right? But I'm like trying uh, to like inventory in my brain, like all this stuff I've been wanting to talk about with you guys. Um, so Disney made an announcement that kind of rocked. Uh, the Disney fandom because they have decided that they are going to ban smoking and strollers larger than a specific size. I think it's 54 inches wide is what the limit is uh, in all Disney parks. And this is in anticipation of the opening of Galaxy's Edge. You know, Project Stardust has been going on for quite some time and they've been working on widening up walkways, removing trees, removing benches, all in the name of making sure that the bottlenecks are removed as much as possible without removing the beauty of the park itself, Mm -hmm. which is a hard balance to strike, especially when you don't have a lot of space to grow. Sure. Uh, Your thoughts on the announcement on the smoking and the stroller situation. Mel, what did you think? Way to go, Disney. And the reason I say this is because, especially about the strollers, there's been times where they block a walkway. I honestly think, especially the wagons, and I apologize if you have one, but they take up a good chunk of space as you're walking. Um, I don't really think they're necessary. There's other strollers. Um, I have traveled with one when my niece and nephew were smaller. I mean, I really think those wagons were just a nuisance. So I'm really glad that Disney's putting their foot down. And yes, I do see a backlash on it. But if they're making their part on widening 
every single inch of space that they're, you know, at the park for Galaxy's Edge, you know, we got to do our part too. We really do. Yeah, I agree. Um, in an effort to avoid being too um, negative and or confrontational with this, these two topics, uh, I, I'm interested mostly in seeing how this is going to, on the stroller side, how they're going to police it. You know, how, when and where are they going to tell people their stroller is too big? You know, if they're at Mickey and Friends and they're on the top level and the very back and they load up their stroller, make it all the way to the elevator, wait in line for the elevator, make it down, go through the new switchbacks to get to security down there, get all the way up to security. And at that point, they measure their stroller and they're told, oh, you got to take this back. That's not going to go very well. Well, right. There was times where remember the uh, selfie sticks. Sure. They had signage everywhere. That's fair, everywhere, but not so. everybody has a ruler to measure their stroller when they get to the park, right? Right. So are they going to have like giant like I, I envision it like when you go to the airport and they got the little box and it says if your carry on can fit in this box, then you can bring it on to the plane with you, oh. right? So I figure yeah. they'll have like some sort of stall. And hopefully they would have that on every level saying, hey, before you get down to security, check your stroller. If you can fit it through this little square, metal square, then you it's allowed in, right? Like that's yeah. – I just, I just imagine a terrible scene at security where people are yelling and upset and, you know, yeah. you want to avoid that. You know, but I think that's a good move, you know, because uh, – I'll call it the SUV culture of America has trickled down to our strollers and we think these monstrosities are acceptable when it's just overkill. It just is. And I, and I understand I'm coming from the point of somebody who doesn't have kids. Uh, you know, Hazen can probably relate to this more than any of us. Not probably, definitely can. But definitely. I, I, I remember when I came to the park as a little kid and my little brother was in a stroller and it was just a tiny little stroller with a cloth seat. It was just a seat with wheels and you could, yeah, you right. could hang a diaper bag on the back of it. That's it. You know, like it's not, you know, got stow compartments and cup holders and wheels that you could, you know, climb Mount Everest with, you know, it's, it's, it's inconspicuous and it doesn't take up any room. And when we, Talk about, you know, 60 inch, 80 inch wide strollers times 4,000. That exponential increase is insane. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm all for it. So, uh, I, I see this from two sides, just like you commented a moment ago, because we've been in the situation where we've needed a stroller and we were in a situation at one point where we needed a double stroller for both kids because, uh, you know, they they won't last walking or standing for a very long time through the entire park, especially now with the removal of benches throughout the park. You really have to make a concentrated effort to find a location to sit and those locations will become scarce as the summer months come around and more people are looking for places to just hang out, have a drink, relax in the heat, right? So uh, I totally understand what you're saying about the stroller, but I think the culture of people that go to Disney 
when when you were saying, you know, it was just basically a cloth seat with wheels versus what it's become today is there's been a huge mindset shift as far as going prepared to the park. Annual passes were not as big as they were before. Right. And so when you went to Disneyland, you didn't necessarily go prepared to camp out and just hang out and, you know, just people watch like we do now. I think the culture was you spent your money, you're going to get on as many rides as possible, watch as many shows as you can, and you go home at the end of the day. That's your vacation. If you're lucky, you come back the next day. Mm-hmm. Now you have two parks that you have to deal with. So most people will come prepared not just with a diaper bag, but with bottles of water and sandwiches or chips or snacks for their kids. And I think a lot of people have the mindset of, if I can bring snacks from home, why am I going to spend $6 on a bag of cookies when I can spend 25 cents and bring it from Costco? Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So I don't think it's as much uh, of just the stroller culture it's the fact that more people come more prepared than they have in the past. Sure. With that said, I totally get it. You know, we always did our best, even with the double strollers, to have a stroller that was as small as possible because we didn't like it when people would ram their strollers into our heels or they would bump into our kids, you know, when they were walking around versus being in the stroller. And it is a nuisance. It does hurt children the most. And... Uh, there's a lot of people with these larger strollers that sometimes let their kids push it and they're just playing around. They're not necessarily uh, wheeling them properly. And so people get hurt. They, uh, the, the biggest problem I see with the smaller strollers is also that the wheels get stuck in the train tracks on Main Street and mm-hmm. all these cobblestone walkways because the wheels are not meant for off-roading. These utility strollers, you know, talking about the SUV culture and talking about utility vehicles, uh, these utility strollers have thicker wheels that are meant for tougher terrains and it makes it easier to navigate stuff like that. I could tell you that as a parent, I see where a lot of people would be super concerned about how they're going to cater to their kids throughout the day because lockers are available in the park, but one, they cost a lot, and two, they run out really quickly in the morning. They're not always available. So maybe there has to be some concession on Disney side as well to install more lockers in the Esplanade mm. or create more uh, places where you can just hang out. You know, like the picnic area at Disneyland is super small. Yeah. You know, it doesn't house a lot of people. So maybe they need a, a couple more places outside in the Esplanade or maybe some seats, benches, whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, I understand. I know the company, The I, I think it was the owner of the company that makes one of the big wagon strollers, Keens, I believe, mm-hmm. put out a statement saying, hey, voice your concern to Disney. They're going to ban us. And I can understand how a company like that would be concerned because you would think that people that go to Disneyland or go to these parks are their biggest source of income. Maybe. So I can, I can understand how, I don't know how big that company is. I don't know if they're considered a small company or not, but um, it it is going to take a toll on companies like that. Uh, Overall limiting the size of what you can bring in, I think is a good thing. 
the good I, I think the best decision they they made was not saying strollers are completely banned i think people just will now have to be a little bit more mindful to not get like this the the jeep stroller with like the 17 inch wheels with chrome hubcaps you know and just with get a spinners. smaller one that's more utilitarian than anything else right, right. yep so uh if you had any thoughts on that particular subject you know we'd love to hear what you have to say about it join the conversation on any of the social networks because uh you know gavin and melissa you know they stated they don't have really any experience in this subject we have experience but we left our stroller a long time ago you know our kids have been walking around the park for quite some time now but I do still get people bumping into the back of my heels with their strollers because they're not paying attention, the kids playing around. And that's why I brought that up, because I have been subject to that type of treatment in the park. So, you know, let me know how you guys feel about that. If you're happy about it Uh, again, let's try to keep the conversation civil. You know, we don't want to spark any any arguments. We just want to know what your thoughts are. And maybe Disney will somehow hear these thoughts and say, well, you know, maybe we can concede to doing this or that. And that's really what it's about. Talking about it and trying to figure out a better solution. So, right. Ah, uh, man, so good. I'm telling you so much to talk about. Ah, all right. Well, I want to jump into this week's topic because we could keep talking about all this cool Disney and stuff and all the non-cool Disney stuff and all the <laughs> everything that's been happening. Like Robert Downey Jr. not calling me back. Call me back, RDJ. You know what? I'm sure his ears are ringing by now. It it, it should happen anytime. <laughs> Jarvis, please have Tony call me. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> I can't believe we're going to skip over new attractions at DCA, but whatever. We, we got your Downey Jr. in there. Let's talk about new attractions at DCA. Gavin, <laughs> let's talk about this. So Jesse's Critter Carousel kind of opened? I don't, I don't know if anybody's been down there to see it yet, but uh, it looks really super cute. But it's at a rough start. It has been in and out of operation um, oh, no. for its entire opening weekend. I got in line for it no less than two times. And it broke down, and they told everybody to get out of line both times. Um, I know our friends from Hilt Radio tried many times over the weekend, and they they were able to do it once on Saturday and once on Sunday. But I don't know what's going on with it. It's just a carousel, but it keeps – I don't know. It's weird. But it looks really cute. Jessie out front is super adorable. Um, It's fun to see her really – big in front of you like she's you know she's i guess it makes sense because the scale of mr potato head is big too mm-hmm. over at toy story midway mania so she like kind of towers over you but she's super cute so i thought they did a good job there's a couple of hidden mickeys which have already been spotted in Ooh. that attraction so go try and find the hidden mickeys they're fun to find but i think more interesting than that is the announcement that mickey's Philhar Magic is coming yes! to the Sunset oh, Theater. Yes, yes. I mean, yes. this is something I've wanted to see for a long time because I I haven't been to Disney World since it was uh, opened there, and I've always heard about it. It sounds really fun. It's in basically every resort around the world except the one in California. So Soon. it's finally coming here uh, to help celebrate Mickey and Minnie Mouse, and I'm. I'm pretty pumped about it. It's going to be nice to have an attraction back in that spot. 
And have you have you actually seen it, Melissa? I have, Ooh. and it's one of the attractions I really miss from Walt Disney World. I mm-hmm. really do. Um, it's so adorable that I had to go and experience this multiple times. Mm-hmm. So when we found out that it was coming here, I was like, oh, my God, hold on. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I need a moment because, right? yeah, I mean... I kind of, I could kind of wait on Walt Disney World now. It's going to be here. <laughs> nice. Now, have you had a chance? I mean, I experienced many of those attractions on YouTube, you know, <laughs> as you do. And have you had a chance to watch the Mickey's Magic from like Disneyland Paris or Tokyo or anything to compare them? No, because I haven't. The original attraction opened up in 2003 mm-hmm. at Magic Kingdom. So mm-hmm. it, it does have some miles on it. Yeah. Uh, have you read if there's going to be any type of update to the attraction? Or are we getting a mirror of what already exists? From what I understand, we were going to get a mirror of what exists. Mm-hmm. But I know the one in Paris is a little bit different. Um, what I'm more excited is because... Our theater has the surround screens, so that could kind of play into a new, a tr- like you would say, a new look into it. Because mm-hmm. from what I understand, I mean, from what I remember, it's two screens. I mean, like I said, we have the surround screens, so who knows hmm. what they could do? Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see how they how they arrange it in there. But it'll be nice to give some energy to you know that kind of sad semi-dying section of dca you know yes so (laughs) hopefully that brings some energy and you know it's just one more uh, mickey thing they're doing this year and and that's exciting and it's also heavily featuring uh donald duck though which is also cool because there's not really any major features of donald you know in the resort either you got his boat or whatever in toontown but that's just a playground (laughs) you know like but it's cool because Mickey and Minnie are getting their, their railway ride, which also features Goofy. So it's cool that we'll have this that also features Donald. So I, I think it's cool. Yeah. You know what I, What property I wish we would get more of a California adventure just because I feel it fits the whole adventure slash superhero is Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kingdom Hearts is very heavily reliant on Donald and Goofy throughout the story and throughout the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's just another heroic story that they could tell with Donald and Goofy. But I think that property would fit really well there. Uh, it is interesting to see that they are pulling Mickey's Magic into that theater and that they're not demolishing it. I would have thought that they were going to do a little bit more with Marvel to expand the Marvel area into that. Mm -hmm. But if they're investing the money to bring that show in there, I don't think it's going to be like a six-month play. It might be there for quite some time. Yeah. So it it leads me to wonder what's going to happen to the Monsters, Inc. attraction Mm -hmm. that's right next door to it. You know, that's another attraction that I think we've talked about. You know, how do we reimagine it? What can it turn into with Marvel coming into that area? Yeah. If that's the case, that attraction might be there for quite some time as well. Or, we'll see. see, now we're into armchair Imagineering territory. Uh-oh. What if, you know, they <laughs> transform that area behind Hollywood Studios, which is kind of like its own or Hollywood land. Uh, it's kind of like its own area, you know, it's not, it's part of Hollywood land, but it's kind of separate, you know, 
like they could reimagine that whole area as a Kingdom Hearts area and that the space where Monsters Inc. In, is in could become a Kingdom Hearts attraction. Sold. You know, and so with Donald next door at the theater, it, it, it could tie in enough, you know, like the theater is separate enough that it doesn't have to be like necessarily incorporated into the theme of it all, you know, like right. it could really be a cool area. You know, they got all the stage 17 area back there and mm-hmm. I think they could, that could be cool. And that could kind of be a nice little bookend. So you've got Hollywood land and Hollywood Boulevard kind of in the middle. And on one side is kingdom hearts kingdom and on the other side is Marvel, <laughs> you know, place, Stark Park. I'm for it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, sorry. We could go on forever. I'm telling you. Oh, man. I can't believe I almost missed on talking about this. Good call, dude. Oh, yeah. Good call. And now let's talk about the parking garage. Just kidding. We can go to the topic. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the parking garage next episode. Okay. Uh, there's not a lot to talk about, but let's talk about it next episode because I, I really want to talk about uh, and listen to uh, this week's topic. Uh, as you know, every week we try to tackle a new portion of the park. We try to tackle an attraction, the history uh, or uh, at the end of the month, we try to tackle our own ideas by having armchair Imagineering episodes. And this week, Melissa is going to bring us the history of Toontown. You know, there's been a lot of talk of Toontown with Mickey finally getting his own attraction. But, uh, you know, there is some history to Toontown. And Melissa, let's yeah. take it away. Let's do this. I'm excited to hear this. <laughs> sure. It is time to go behind the berm, folks. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Choo-choo. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, dating back to the 1930s as a private area for the tunes to live as relaxed and freely as can be, in Disneyland Park history and books, it was told that Mickey created Toontown, and the only other person to have known was Walt. Nice. However, with the release of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big plans were made where Roger himself would be the star of a new land with attractions based off the film, but this land would actually be behind Main Street USA, mm. and the name of it would be Hollywood Land. Really? So, oh, interesting. <laughs> right? Huh. Huh. As we are just talking about that. <laughs> oh, man. So Toontown was a secret for many decades until the gates behind the berm was opened at Disneyland in 1993. Upon arrival to the gates, you'll see some of the signs along the way as you enter Toontown. Knights of the Loyal Inkwell, Daughters of the Animated Reel, or DAR, with Minnie and Daisy. You'll also see signs that says U-turns are okay and the caution sign that reads gags ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this land for theming is the wackiest of them all. The gags, the shapes, the architecture, and even the atmosphere is bonkers. I mean, every day is colorful when you have yourself a gag warehouse along with the fireworks factory, right? What can go wrong? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's everyday norm here, and you can never forget the name Toontown as you see it on the hills in the distance. Now, the land is divided into three districts. This, I really did not know. Hmm. I, did, I didn't either. Yeah. 
So there's downtown, Toontown Square, and Mickey's Neighborhood.、Hmm. The first district you see upon arrival is downtown, where you could take a spin with Benny and Roger, visit Toontown's Five and Dime, the Gag Warehouse, Fireworks Factory, the Post Office, and the Fire Department. At the Post Office, there's six mailboxes for Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, Roger, and Jessica. One of the neatest things about these mailboxes is that you can get a little glimpse of everyday life if you just tune in. Now, with all the gags at eye level, let's take a quick look up and you'll see something in a similar fashion to Main Street windows with little nods to them. Few notable windows, such as Jiminy Cricket, motivational speaker. My boy. <laughs> the Chinny Chin Chin Construction Company.、Nice. The Three Little Pigs. Proprietors and two Laughagram Films Inc. windows, one for Reels of Fun and one for W.E. Disney, directing animator. Nice. That, by the way, is one of my favorite features of Toontown. Yeah. <laughs> the way that it pays homage to Main Street, totally. Yeah. I think is brilliant. Yep, I totally agree. So, last but not least, the Jolly Trolley. For nearly 10 years, you were able to ride the Jolly Trolley in a figure eight that traveled from Roger Rabbit Toonspin all the way down to Mickey's neighborhood and back. There would be zany music and sounds as you heard it bounce its way around. To best describe the way it bounced, is very similar motion in comparison to riding in a beehive through the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh、mm. in Critter Country. Mm-hmm. You can still find the trolley today as a photo op in downtown. The next district is Toontown Square. Let's check out City Hall, one of two in Disneyland, of course, with the other one being in Town Square. Above it, you'll see a working clock, which actually is called a clockenspiel. Something else I didn't know. I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm learning as I'm doing this research. <laughs> I almost feel like that has to be、uh, said by Dr. Von Drake. Yeah. <laughs> It's the clockenspiel <laughs> of Toontown. <laughs> Maybe. <Totally. laughs>、uh, that's awesome. So it's literally the bell and whistles, along with some wacky faces and fireworks that are ready to shoot off in the sky. The most awesome thing about this is that it comes alive on the hour, every hour, to the Mickey Mouse march. Mickey's hands just go all around the clock face. The hands with horns come out of the sides, which looks like cannons. The bell begins to ring itself with mallets, and the sounds of fireworks are going off to complete the hourly celebration. It's really cool and definitely an experience to enjoy. I don't think I've ever seen that go yeah, off. It's, it's, very, it's a small world, but in Toontown. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's really short. You're looking at maybe a minute.、Mm-hmm. So if you're not there, you will miss it. But it's really, really cool because it it. it's just, it's animated.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Literally. Now I'm going to make it a point to sit there and look for it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Talking about that, one really neat thing about that area is that there's tons of seating for the eateries that's around. The gazebo right in front also makes for a great photo op. The seating is actually for Clarabelle's, Daisy's Diner, and Pluto's Doghouse. There's actually a fun little nod to the left of Daisy's Diner, and it's a sign for the ink and paint department, which is really, really sweet. 
because you really don't see as many nods like that, especially for one of the most important departments in animation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was awesome. That is cool. Now, smack in the middle of the square is Goofy's gas station, which cracks me up because you could literally fuel up, get Goofy water, but it also serves as a resting stop with restrooms. So go ahead and insert all the gas jokes right in here. <laughs> as I was reading, I'm like, hey. <laughs> Leave it to the imagination. So the final and probably the largest district in Toontown is Mickey's Neighborhood. Homes are styled to represent each character, even through color scheme. Goofy's home or Goofy's playhouse looks like a hot mess, but it takes you back to every how-to cartoon short of his. Mm -hmm. Now, before it was Goofy's playhouse, it was Goofy's bounce house for about 15 years until 2008. There was literally a bounce house where little ones were able to jump in on the furniture without any worries. To the side, you could see his garden and the many plants a play area, and a few hilarious weather vanes. In the front of his house, you'll see a vehicle that's crashed into his mailbox post. Looks a little goofy if you ask me. <laughs> Donald's boat, which was awesome that you brought up earlier, right. <laughs> <laughs> is practically modeled after Donald if you look at it from a profile view. Named the Miss Daisy after his beloved and sassy girlfriend Daisy Duck, just about everything on this boat is fashioned to his likeness, including water. After admiring both Goofy and Donald's homes, you may hear a loud roar that's coming from Gadget's Go Coaster. Gadget's own nutty design of an acorn coaster is perfect for the little ones, of course within the guidelines. Talking about acorns, right next to the coaster is Chippendale's treehouse. During its first five years, the treehouse actually had an acorn pit. <laughs> what? Like real? I like didn't... you could eat acorns? Well, no, not acorns. No, like a, like a just... ball pit. Oh, like a ball pit. <laughs> oh, okay. I, okay. Whew. Threw me for a loop for a second. I, I was I like, think ew. That hurts. <laughs> <laughs> there was a slide that took you right into the pit from the treehouse, and you could actually find, still find the netting right below today. Now... If you were to climb up all the way to the top, you would have a bird's eye view of Mickey's Toontown. I should say this is more preferably for little ones because I've attempted and I do not fit. <laughs> I, I am don't too tall. Either. Enter at your own risk, but it's, it is uh -huh. pretty cool. Let's go ahead and walk and you'll notice a huge water fountain of Mickey conducting the tunes. You too can be a part of this conducting fun if you step on the huge buttons on the floor with the instruments on them. Give them a good stomp next time you see them and let the music play. Hmm. Right next door is Minnie's house with the daintiest look with the flowers, the polka dots, the roundness aesthetic. Her color palette is very sweet, soft, and candy-like along with many, many hearts. Behind her home is a lovely gazebo with a tea set that matches her home. And it's really adorable and makes for another wonderful photo op. If you're lucky, you may get a glimpse or even get a visit from Minnie herself. Next door to Minnie is Mickey. 
Mickey's house is one of the many highlights in Toontown. If not the one highlight you must visit. You enter his home and you get to see everything including the kitchen sink. But most awesome part is that you go through his barn where you get to see all his famous props, the costumes that lead you to actually meeting the mouse himself. Throughout the years, Mickey has met many guests as Sorcerer Mickey and even Steamboat Willie. It's totally worth the tour of his home when you finally get to meet him. The experience is always special as if you're the VIP. And that right there is all of Toontown. It's so cool. I, I love mm -hmm. how, um, you know, you mentioned it, especially with Donald's boat, but really with all of them, they all have the color scheme and a lot of the styling that mimics the character models as well. Mm -hmm. So like you can look at it from afar and see like, oh, that's goofy because he's got those same colors, you know? I, yeah. I, I thought that was a clever touch that they did in that in that area. I, I think I think Mickey's Toontown is one of the most photogenic places in the park as well. It's really pretty. It's super fun design. And, you know, you mentioned the Toontown sign in the hills behind town, you know, mimicking the Hollywood sign. But they use a really good effect of atmospheric perspective with those hills. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they make them a little hazier so they seem even farther away. Mm -hmm. um, and they're really not that far away. They're, they're all pretty close, but it, it gives a lot of depth to that area. It also hides the five, which is right behind Toontown. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's just a, it's a really neat area that I think a lot of people miss out on, especially if they don't have little kids. You know, yeah. it's totally worth going and, and strolling through, even if you're not going to tour the houses or get on Roger Rabbit. It's worth a look-see, you know, and and you'll you'll end up snapping a few photographs while you're back there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I Now that I'm looking back and thinking about it, I think this is the one spot, the one land that has so many opportunities mm -hmm. uh, photo-op-wise. I mean, so many vehicles. Now that I think about it, I kind of think I forgot a few things. <laughs> but, yes, there's tons, tons of photo-ops in that land. Yeah. It also has a hugely underrated soundtrack. I, lo yeah, I love the music back Agreed. there. It's so awesome. Very true. <laughs> You're right. I love the soundtrack there. I have a collection, uh, a Disney collection of music, and the Toontown one is one of the ones that comes up frequently for me to listen to. Oh, yeah. It's just so lively that it kind of like, it's one of those like whistle while you work type soundtracks. Yeah. It's just mm -hmm. like, hey, I can get anything done while I'm listening to this. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned photo ops. One of the coolest things that I think Toontown has that I don't think a lot of people understand when they see it is that when you're looking out into Goofy's garden in that little area, one of the coolest Easter eggs is that there is a pumpkin that has glasses on. That pumpkin is carved to look like Jack Lindquist. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, Jack Lindquist, super amazing person that came up with a lot of the marketing and stuff that Disneyland, like a lot of the marketing campaigns at Disneyland that now does, like Grad Knight. He was the first president of Disneyland, now a Disney legend. But the fact that with the opening of Toontown, I almost feel like it's an homage to him being like the first president of Toontown as yeah. well, mm -hmm. you know, like he was of Disneyland. So if you've never seen it before, 
check it out. It's in Goofy's garden. It's just a pumpkin with black glasses on. That pumpkin is an homage to Jack Lindquist. Yeah. That's, that's like that's another nod. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. I think the only thing for me that's kind of, um, I don't know, weird, I guess, about Toontown is Gadget's Go Coaster. You know, that's such a dated character that I don't think kids are familiar with today because yeah. of the way that Disney has always like buried their television properties after the shows are over. I, right. I'm I'm always surprised that they never rebranded that as, you know, something else. But, you know, yeah. m- maybe this current resurgence of 90s nostalgia as well as Disney Plus on the horizon, maybe because um, she's from is she from Rescue Rangers or is she from Tales she's from mm-hmm. Rescue Rangers? OK, yeah. I knew it was one of those Disney afternoon shows. Uh, you know, maybe those shows will be back on Disney Plus and, and kids will get maybe? to refamiliarize themselves with that character. Um, Because in all honesty, like a few years ago, I kind of reacquainted myself with Toontown and I didn't know who Gadget was. I didn't watch that show. I didn't I never watched that show when it was on. So I didn't know who it was. I had to look it up. And, you know, I was I was surprised that you've got these icons, right? You got Mickey, Minnie, Daisy, Donald, Goofy, Chip and Dale, like the ultimate icons of Disney and Gadget. You know, it's kind of weird, you know, I mean, I get I get Roger Rabbit and and the whole impetus for creating Toontown because of the what you see in that movie and the huge success of that film and everything. And the Mm -hmm. fact that that's available for people to watch today. But Rescue Rangers isn't, you know, and so I I don't know. It just sticks out to me as kind of strange. I, I dig Gadget's Go Coaster. I think it's the cutest roller coaster ever. I just think it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you got to remember that at one point uh, in the early 90s, uh, there, there really was a push to try to bring some of the Disneyland, the Disney afternoon properties yeah. into yeah. the parks because, you know, we had Gadget's Go Coaster, but then we also had like Gummy Glen and then we had the Rescue Rangers Raceway and... You know, it it didn't quite hold up like the other properties did. But, I mean, at least there was an effort at one point to bring the properties into the park in a major way that people would recognize it and want to do the attractions. Uh, Unfortunately, when the Rescue Rangers Raceway went away and they closed up the little boat ride and everything... You know, they turned it into, I mean, and now it's just Fantasia Gardens. It's part of the plaza there in front of It's a Small World. Gadget's Go Coaster is really the only thing left that we have right. of that era. You know, anywhere really in the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. E- even in California Adventure. That's so crazy. It's true. This it will so. make for an interesting armchair session. Yeah. yeah definitely. I agree. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Well, thanks, Melissa. That was super cool. You're welcome. <laughs> it makes me want to ride Roger Rabbit. I haven't done that in a while. Well, you're going to want to ride it even more after next week's episode. Uh-huh. Really? Yep. <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, That's yeah. called a teaser, kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. If you like what you're listening to, uh, tell a friend. You know, the best way to help us grow is by you telling a friend and commandeering their phone and signing them up through their favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. 
you name it, we're on most of them. So go ahead and just sign them up and tell them, start listening. You'll like it. They're fun. And if they're not fun, I'll buy you a churro. Not me personally, but maybe you will buy your friend a churro. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how your your friendship works. Maybe a Dole Whip. You figure it out. But yes, if you like what you're listening to, please help us spread the word and help us grow. Also, leave a comment or leave a review on iTunes. That also helps the exposure of the podcast grow when we're suggested in iTunes or in Google Podcasts, also in Spotify. If you want to help us out, whenever you make an Amazon purchase, the best way to do that is to start your journey at podcasters.com slash Amazon. You'll find a big Amazon button. Click it. Take it to Amazon using our special link. Anything that you purchase will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we mentioned them on the podcast. To everybody doing that, we just want to say thank you. And, of course, the best way to help us out is by becoming part of the FGP squad. Uh, the FGP squad is a group of listeners just like all of you that help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. To all of the members of the FGP squad, we just want to send out a huge thank you for all of your support. More information on how you can join the FGP squad can be found at podcasters.com FGP. And that's it. It's time to wrap this baby up so that we can go to. Are we going to Five Guys or In and Out? What's the. What did we decide on? Habit. Oh, the habit. Oh, yes. <laughs> Even better. Let's do I this. I haven't forgotten. So. Well, I almost did. I'm glad that you didn't let me forget. So that's it. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Made you look.